0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast this week, I'm Juad as always, thank you for joining me, 20th of June, we're almost at the end of the month, yay, (laughs) for some I guess, um, yeah, thank you for joining us this week, it's a bit of a French-themed episode, Uh, a lot of racing going on in France at the moment we had the 24 hours of Le Mans last week um, which I'll talk about in a little bit and then the French F1 Grand Prix this weekend and we'll start off with that of course Um, Vive la France nice country if you haven't been I didn't really get to see much of it but what I did see uh, when I went it was quite enjoyable so I would definitely rate it um, 10 out of 10. No, I mean, yeah, it's it's great, but forget the whole review thing. Anyway, French Grand Prix. Well, everyone's still talking. It's been two weeks now since uh, what happened in Canada. Sebastian Vettel um, with his penalty, which uh, was contentious, pretty much stripped the race win from him, um, and we saw those post-race antics from him in Park Ferme, uh, and question is has the dust really settled after that and no it hasn't there's still been um a lot of debate a lot of talk on forums on uh you know websites articles have been written and whatnot talking about uh whether you know it was fair or not or should the whole system be overhauled and everything and yeah you know it's sort of not ended but I guess this weekend we can sort of put all that talk aside and actually get back to racing and everything as well you know let's let the racing do the talking um one positive for Ferrari I guess is that they're the most successful team on French soil in Formula One history even though they haven't won at this new um new old Paul Ricard track that they uh came to last year Mercedes also uh won that one, it was a bit of a doozy of a race of course and um, Mercedes just looked strong in all the departments but quickly as well before getting into the actual French Grand Prix weekend, Ferrari they dropped their appeal that they were going to do against that penalty after Canada but now they've called for some kind of a review, Um, apparently they've got some new findings or whatever, telemetry, data, blah blah blah, is that actually going to make any difference for them? Probably not, you know, it's sort of, it just feels like they're clutching at straws, really, with a position that they're in championship-wise, they're not really going to be bothering Mercedes, You've, we've all pretty much conceded this year, so it's best to just drop it and move on, you know, and as far as reiterating my thoughts from last week, we're basically, you know, the rule book is there, the stewards are following the rules, you know, and applied the penalty, um, what I did talk about, I was having a discussion yesterday at work with some colleagues about, um, uh, you know, rules and also how fans complain when you know the judging of rules and everything in sport it's if it's gray if it's got 50 shades of gray or whatever and then fans will complain when you know penalties or sanctions are applied you know because rules are black and white or punishments are black and white so where do you find the balance then you're never going to win basically is the the answer so yeah what um what transpired in Canada, as far as the penalty is concerned, I've got no problem with it. Um, Sebastian Vettel, I guess, just has to stop making mistakes, basically. that's You can take away that, you know, the problem doesn't lie within the rules of Formula One or the stewards, you know, who were just doing their job and they did a good job uh, there in Canada. But, in fact, that Sebastian Vettel has just constantly been making mistakes and it's not just this year we've seen him, you know, in Bahrain again, he, he spun when trying to battle with Lewis Hamilton, but last year as well, which effectively cost him the championship, I mean, you know, many will agree that 2018 was Ferrari's best chance to win a championship, um, they had the faster car all year, um, they had Mercedes on the back foot, but it was just Vettel's own mistakes that pretty much cost him, so, you know, you can look back on that now in hindsight, and with all the, the knowledge that 2018 could have been the year, but I guess there's no time like the present, we don't need to sit and really mull over what happened before, so yeah, this weekend, Paul Ricard, France, um, small evolution of updates uh, for Ferrari this weekend, going to make a difference, probably not, because uh, Mercedes, they other favourites and Lewis Hamilton favourite for the pole and the win this weekend it won't be a surprise I mean I was I was pretty surprised last week when um I looked at all the races so far this season and Hamilton's won five of them already it's like wow you know we've had seven races and Hamilton's won five of them and you sort of don't you you're not kind of shocked at it by looking at it it's just like oh well you know before you know winning five races in the opening part of the season would be like whoa that's so dominant blah 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 but we sort of have become desensitized in a way you could say <laughs> um, desensitized to violence or desensitized to Mercedes winning all the time so uh, yeah five wins to Lewis two to Valtteri Bottas who sort of the last couple of couple of races has become the forgotten man and I've said you know that Bottas really needs to respond and this weekend in France would be uh, quite crucial to his championship challenge because he has fallen more than one race wins worth of points uh, behind Hamilton so it's I think like 29 points is something the the deficit between him and him and his teammate at the top, so yeah, they're going to have to do something on Bottas' side of the garage, and you know, when we said that our last time out in Baku or whatever, Bottas responded, um, took the pole position, took the win, it was all very dandy, but yeah, he's going to require more than what he's doing at the moment, which is, it's still pretty consistent, um, Bottas' efforts, but he's going to have to do more if he's going to stay within touch of Hamilton. If you let that gap stay where it is or even get bigger, then you can pretty much kiss your championship hopes goodbye. So, yeah, if you can keep it within the at a maximum of 10 15 points, you'd think it would be, it would be, you, you'd seriously consider um, what do you call it, you'd seriously consider Bottas in there, but yeah, he's going to have to make a bit of a comeback this weekend to do so, already talked about Ferrari, um, Seb Vettel, I mean, he was strong in Canada before he made that mistake, that's the thing, like, it should have been, it should have been his to take, even though Hamilton was quicker in the latter part of the race, I'm sure he could have, without um, making any mistakes could have actually held him off but unfortunately that wasn't the case so um, they should be stronger you'd think that after losing that win that they'd be a bit um, you know fired up and everything and the team itself would probably come this weekend and uh, push harder but uh, we'll just have to wait and see it's a quasi home race for charles leclerc so um obviously monaco which was his home race wasn't the greatest for him in the ferrari so this weekend could kind of make up for it he was had that q3 q3 appearance last year in the sauber so um he could potentially you know be on for a good result it was good to see him back on the podium actually in canada first one he's had since bahrain So, what's going to happen this time on the other side of the Ferrari garage with Leclerc? Uh, Moving it on, Red Bull then, this weekend, they're actually going to have an upgraded Honda Power unit um, on board, so both Red Bull cars and Danny Kvyat in the Toro Rosso will take the upgraded unit. Um, Unfortunately for Kvyat, it means he has to take a grid penalty, because I think they've already exceeded the um, allocated amount of power units on his or power unit components on his uh, Toro Rosso car, but for for Red Bull, you know, you have that thought in the back of your head always that could they potentially threaten for the podium ahead of Ferrari, um, depending on how Ferrari um, actually fare. Like you know, we looked at Barcelona and it was a horror show for Ferrari and their complaint. Um, a lot of people are comparing. Spain and um, France, these two Grand Prix, um, closely with each other. So, Red Bull certainly a lot stronger there than Ferrari were. So, could Red Bull potentially be on top here? That'll be a good question to ask when we have the look at the first couple of practice sessions. And personally, as well, Pierre Gasly, would, we would really like him to put his hand up and put in a good performance. So, Verstappen's had a couple of podiums now in the Red Bull Honda this season. Gasly, he's been stuck around that fifth or sixth um, place mark, as I talked about last week, and really hasn't been putting his hand up for um, good performances. You know, it starts with qualifying, which he hasn't been able to out-qualify his teammates so far this season, and even when he did, as a result of... um, Uh, sorry as a result of uh, Verstappen missing out on Q3 in Canada Verstappen still ended up finishing ahead of him so yeah a lot of pressure on Gasly to um, really step it up and perform and it's his home race too so naturally the pressure will be on as you would think but then you think back to last year the three French drivers pretty much took all he took Yeah, took all of each other out in a way. I think Esteban Ocon and Roman Grosjean came together, and Pierre Gasly was involved as well somehow. So, yeah, you probably want to avoid that this year. And unfortunately, we don't have Ocon on the grid this year, so you won't see him trying to get into the wars either. in the midfield though Kevin Magnussen last year was the best of the uh, best of the rest sorry so can he repeat that performance this weekend I mean it was quite something when you saw the Netflix documentary and saw the French Grand Prix race or the couple of races around this time of year including the French Grand Prix in that documentary and when you looked at Haas and everything, and Roman Grosjean going through that horror period of, you know, no points finishes, or, you know, just a lot of DNFs, and including at his home race as well, and it was a terrible race for Haas last time out in Canada too, so if you remember Magnussen on the radio um, saying this is the worst experience ever, and then Gunter Steiner, his team principal, came on and pretty much shut him down, saying that they're all feeling the same way he does, and you just got to give it to Gunter, he's, he's a proper boss, you know, like, <laughs> it's almost like they fear him within the team, but at the same time, he's a really good good bloke as well, so, you know, you got that, that Netflix identity of Gunter Steiner with the, you know, hard person, swears a lot sort of thing, but then he actually is probably one of the nicest people, I'm sure I've I've never met him, (laughs) but um, he seems like he's quite uh, jovial and all that, but yeah, I like that other um, sort of persona about him, that he's this hard boss and like just swears a lot and everything, he's got his swear jar, so yeah, it's it's a funny one, but Going back to Haas, yeah, you know, it's going to be important because we saw Renault actually make strides over the last couple of races, it's their home race this weekend as the French manufacturer, so, you know, they scored points in Monaco and in Canada, so what are they going to do this time out, Um, and they're only two points behind McLaren now in the Constructors' Championship too, so for that fourth place, and whilst, you know, McLaren had a good start to the season, you know, a couple of bad races, I guess Lando Norris, the last two races, hasn't scored, Um, bad Canada for Carlos Sainz too, having missed out on points in the last couple of laps as well, being overtaken by, I think it was Stroll and Kvyat, so yeah, they'll be hoping for a good race on the track or on the home soil of their power unit supplier, but I guess it'll be more important for Renault to finish ahead of them, because, you know, imagine the PR after that, you know, the customer beats the uh, the factory team, and where have we seen that before? I think last year, with Red Bull and Renault beating the Renault factory team, oh well, anyway, and that's pretty much that with, um, with the French Grand Prix, um, again, it's sort of could it be just a Mercedes walkover or will someone else come and uh, upset them for the weekend, you know, like we saw in Canada with Ferrari? So, yeah, and midfield as always should prove to be exciting. Um, and, you know, it, it's got the potential, that track, to be pretty good. Like, you've got the long back, Mr. straight, um, confusing as hell layout as well. Like, I couldn't even on the F1 game when I first gave it a go, I couldn't, I didn't even, I had to have the racing line on and to figure out which is the actual circuit path, because of all those blue stripes and everything, it just makes it look like it's, uh, when you look at it from an aerial view, it's very mesmerizing and all, so yeah, you know, I mean, when you get used to it, it's okay, but um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how the weekend pans out. God, it's only three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm already yawning. That's not a good sign <laughs> for the rest of the day. All right, let's move it on, and keeping with the French themes, we are going to the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and last weekend, great race as always, uh, didn't stay up for the 24 Hours, I didn't expect to. And I guess the outcome wouldn't really surprise anyone, given the fact that Toyota won, but it was actually not the Toyota that you would have expected to have won the race, um, not the Toyota that started on pole positions. So um, the number seven car, which led for pretty much the entire race, ended up having some late uh, punches, and poor Jose Maria Lopez had to, to pit, and that pretty much gifted the win, um, and the lead, the win, whatever you want to say, to the number eight car. And yeah, from there, the number eight car pretty much just brought the race home, another Toyota 1-2 and back-to-back wins at Le Mans for Fernando Alonso and um, Sebastian Buemi, uh, Kazuki Nakajima, so that trio been quite successful in this last um, WEC Super Season, they also were crowned the World Endurance Champions as well, so I guess a very special day for, for those guys, they were pretty much guaranteed the championship if they had finished seventh in that race but to have won the race too and also winning two Le Mans in one season is quite special and for Fernando Alonso you know I mean any sports car fan will admit and say proudly that you know it's not all about Fernando Alonso I mean it's great that he's on the team and everything but it's a team effort those other two drivers Buemi Nakajima they have those victories and the championship, uh, they are held as highly as Alonso, despite, you know, all the hype around Alonso, so great to see, um, Alonso a world champion again, actually, you know, after all those torrid years in F1, after he, uh, he won his two championships more than more than a decade ago now, so he's actually a world champion again, which is good to see. And to have won two Le Mans back-to-back as well, um, you know, he's he's just a jack-of-all-trades as Fernando Alonso. But Boemi, I guess, adds another FIA championship to his belt. He was uh, Formula E champion, I think, in its inaugural season and then, um, yeah, now a W World Endurance Champion as well for the second time, I believe, because he would have won it with Anthony Davidson uh, back in 2014, I'm not too sure, but anyway, I, it's, it, it could be correct, so, yeah, those guys, one and two, obviously, the seven car, the drivers would have been disappointed, Lopez, uh, Mike Conway, and Kamui Kobayashi, Uh, disappointed to not have win that but you know they've got next year as well and they're going to have the same driver lineup going into next year so the only driver that's changing in the Toyota camp for the next season sorry I should say not next year because the season starts um in September at Silverstone, um, it's Fernando Alonso leaves and Brendan Hartley actually comes in to replace him in the number eight car. So there's another very talented driver there. He's already a Le Mans winner, two time World Endurance champion as well. So great to see Brendan back on that grid uh, for next year. So rounding out the podium, though, the outright podium for Le Mans, the SP racing, uh, the Russian entry um finished third, the number eleven car which had Michael Alation, uh Vitaly Petrov and Stoffel Van Dorn on board. And that's something I guess a lot of people would never have hoped to have seen in forever basically is Fernando Alonso and Stoffel Van Dorn sharing a podium together. So, you know, they're two torrid years at McLaren as teammates last well, last year and the year before you know, who would have thought that they'd ever share a podium together, and they're share, sharing one of the most prestigious podiums in the in the world motorsport, which is Le Mans, so those guys um, sort of repping the privateer teams, of course, the non-factory hybrid cars, so, you know, Barring Toyota not finishing the race, you know, they wouldn't have been any closer than third, so great to see a good result for those guys. Funny as well, in the commentary they were talking about how this is the car that Jensen Button was driving up until Spa, Uh, when he decided to step back, so, you know, I'm sure wherever Button was watching, uh, if he was watching the race somewhere in the world, he'd be kicking himself, you know, that could have been his Le Mans podium, but I'm sure uh, Button will get another chance um, in the future, potentially, Um, even as a uh, top flight, uh, top tier driver, you know, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Anyway, so yeah, great result in the LMP1 class. So LMP2, it was the Signatech Alpine, the number 36 car that won that class and also the um, LMP2 title as well. So they wrapped up that one. One of the highlights, I guess, from the LMP2 category class uh was the number 31 dragon speed car crashing out so that car obviously with anthony davidson on board and pastor maldonado and you know when i saw that that car had crashed um in the towards the end of the race i'm like oh please don't tell me it was yet yep, it was, it was Pastor Maldonado who crashed out um, at the Tetra Rouge corner, so disappointing result for those guys who could have been on for, they were looking likely to have finished on the podium too, so to have missed out on that, I guess, would be disappointing, but, you know, Maldonado, he's, you know, he's, he's mellowed out a little bit, we won't we won't give him too much grief, um, but, you know, it sort of it's it gave you a bit of a reminder that yeah you, he's got that reputation for crashing quite a bit, so brought a little giggle to everyone, uh to not only myself but pretty much the entirety of the uh motorsport um community on social media. And I had thought that the GTE um race would be more exciting than it ended up being, chiefly because Aston Martin ended up uh, having the old balance of performance, um, Hammer brought down on them after they were on pole position for the race, so first time that, you know, we've seen this new Aston Martin Vantage in a competitive position, they took pole position with the 95 car, or as I called it throughout the weekend, the Dane and Darren train, it's normally called the Dane train with uh, Nicky team and Marco Sorensen, but for this race uh, with a third driver, they brought Darren Turner on board as well, a long-time Aston Martin factory driver. So the and darren train, they're on pole position, and, um, balance performance, which I could talk a little bit about, you know, it's so funny, it's just one of those things that everyone loves to hate, is balance of performance, and, um, you know, talked a little bit about it last week, and also when I did the whole Ford Mustang spiel in the Supercars Championship as well, but, yeah, it's kind of annoying, basically being punished for, for being quick and everything, so, um, yeah, obviously, uh, Aston were furious. Actually, they came out after the race and said, "You know, it's you know they're pretty upset about it." You know, the, as far as the uh, Dane and Darren train is concerned, they crashed out in the night time at the race. So Marco Sorensen on board, which was a bit sad. I was, I was like, oh no, those guys. I was hoping that they'd be able to. A challenge for the class win this time or even finish on the podium it wasn't to be both Aston Martins in the GTE pro category um not a good result for them but in fact it was actually it wasn't a Porsche that one you know given that we had four four Porsches in the field well actually that's untrue because there was four Porsches and also four of the four GT cars as well so anyway, ignore that. Um, it was Ferrari that actually won the GTE Pro class. You know, the first win that they've had at Le Mans since 2014, and also conveniently, on the 70th, 70th anniversary of their first ever win at Le Mans, when they won outright back all those years ago. So it was the number fifty one AF Corsa team who delivered the goods for them in the end. Um, they were battling with the uh, the Chevys, the Corvettes um until there was a bit of a heartbreak for those guys they had a pit lane hold up um for the 63 car which was the one contending for the win and then they had their podium chances pretty much eliminated when uh, jan magnuson who's uh, actually kevin magnuson's father if you did not know that and there was a funny thing about uh it pre-race uh, haas f1 team said that they had no they have no objections to kevin going over to Le Mans one day to race with his dad if, uh, the opportunity is presented to him by Corvette, so that would be something good to see next year for uh, both father-son in the Chevy Corvette there at Le Mans, so that would be quite cool, um, yeah, so yeah, Magnuson behind the wheel when, um, that car span out after that pit lane hold up, and that pretty much killed their podium chances too, so not a great result there, but we had Porsche on the podium, of course, they won the uh, championship two in the GTE drivers' title um, over to GTE Am. So, the victory went to victory on track, and this is what annoys me a little bit. Uh, victory on track went to the um, privateer Ford entry. So, uh, Keating um, had a uh, entry there. Um, it was quite a good story, actually. You know, the first uh, privateer Ford GT car that they had there at Le Mans after the success that the four factory cars have had at Le Mans for the last few years, uh, but it was a fuel irregularity, and when I mean irregularity, it was, like, the tiniest of tiniest of margins that they, uh, were over by, um, and that resulted, the, that resulted in them being disqualified, so they were stripped of that win, heartbreak, of course, but, you know, Keating, of course, um, uh, the man himself, who's a a car salesman, you know, that's the whole, the whole great thing about it is, you know, a car salesman could go racing, that's sort of got a classic vibe about it too, because that's how they used to do it back in, you know, 50s, 60s, you know, even earlier than that, so, you know, he pretty much set after the race you know he wasn't too he was devastated of course but you know at the same time he's like you know we kind of knew that we were on the fringe a little bit so it's kind of no surprise that they got caught out uh, but yeah you know it's hard to hide in these instances when you've got these uh these regulators scrutineering it's pretty strict so you know it's it's more often than not in a world endurance championship race that Even though the checkered flag falls, you've had the podium ceremony. You've uh, published the provisional results. That actual, actually, the results don't um, don't actually properly get published until a few hours after when they have scrutineering because wins uh, results are changed because of uh, technical infringements. You know they get stripped of podiums and wins, and that happened to Toyota at Silverstone um, at the end of last year. So um they that was the only race that they dropped in this super season and one of the privateer teams uh won in the end so yeah you know it's quite strict sports car racing when it comes to these sort of regulations and if you're just a little bit on the other side you know the sanctions are quite huge and you can see that these guys who put in a great effort all weekend ended up getting their win taken away from them but at the same time rightly so as well because they were um operating outside of the rule book and of course um it was a Porsche the number 56 car that um inherited the win in GTE and but also we had one of the pro GTE pro Fords also disqualified for a similar infringement as the um GTE Am Keating Ford. So, yeah, that pretty much sums up the race. Um There was a lot that happened also off track that I'm going to talk about now, and that was the announcement of the hypercar regulations, the much-hyped, much-hyped hypercar regulations um, for the 2020-2021 um, season ahead. So, all that talk last week, um all that anticipation that I had about, you know, the hypercar regulations road going hypercars that will now be able to be homologated to race in the world endurance championship is going to go ahead um already two manufacturers have committed as well um to this set of regulations so toyota are going to stay on board but also aston martin are going to come in um into the championship from 2020 when they start um and they're going to have their Valkyrie hypercar actually uh, homologated to race in it, so what's great about what they've announced is that it's not strictly going to be road-going hypercars that have to contest in this championship, you can also create a prototype hypercar, so what Toyota have done is they've not used an existing road-going, road-going car Um, they've created their own prototype, like they currently are with the TSO50 hybrid in the current LMP1 regulations, so um, anyone, even those privateers, can turn around and say, oh, you know, we're going to build our own prototype hybrid car, if they have the budget, of course. Now, engine-wise, it can be hybrid, non-hybrid, they're not allowing diesel um, this time, obviously, because Audi had diesel when they were still in the world endurance championship and we all know what happened with that uh amongst the fallout of Dieselgate, not a very good look for them even though as a as a race car team they didn't do anything wrong it was the it was volkswagen selling dodgy cars um, with falsified information and figures and all that sort of thing so no diesel allowed it has to be um, petrol powered it's going to have a single fuel supplier uh, four-stroke engine blah 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 hybrid non-hybrid take your pick but there will be caps on you know power and all that sort of thing balance the performance as well the everyone's favorite thing in the world um where you know depending on if one team's stronger than the other they're going to apply restrict restrictors and that sort of thing to hopefully keep parity in the sport too so yeah i mean even though we've only got two manufacturers committed so far it's a good start it is a very good start, and I'm sure that there'll be more coming, and they have sort of hinted, alluded to that, whilst in the first season, you know, we're only going to have Toyota and Aston so far, that you'd expect a few more to definitely pop up in the following super season or whatever, so... uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, McLaren's been the one that's talked about quite a bit, so, you know, you're always going to be excited to potentially see McLaren on the um, sports car grid, or the Le Mans grid in 2021, oh, sorry, tw- it would be 2022 when they have another Le Mans, I don't know how they're going to structure their calendars, I hate these ones where they sort of start in one year and go into the other, like, can't we just work using a calendar year, like, proper, people, I don't know, so yeah, no, it's just very exciting to see that they've uh, locked these regulations down, um, committed, you know, it's pretty much secured the future of sports car racing where there was a little bit of doubt as to what was going to happen sort of thing, but not the case anymore, it's all signed and sealed, better than what's going on with Formula 1 at the moment, which is another I have a bone to pick with that because, you know, the delay, there's been another delay basically in the announcement of the 2021 rules and whether it's just ironing out little details and everything and that sort of stuff, it's still, you know, cutting it a bit fine given that, you know, teams really and manufacturers really have got to start their preparations um, soon for 2021, you know, if someone is to sort of do what mercedes did um ahead of 2014 and really pull their resources behind that and then nail it and come out on top um you know it's not really giving anyone the opportunity to do that and from my understanding is the current manufacturers basically want you know mercedes ferrari basically want status quo of what's um, currently being uh, the current rules, basically, because, you know, they've invested so much into it and they don't want to see anything change while they're at the top of the game, Mercedes especially, but for the sake of the sport as a whole, and this is where Formula One teams don't really um, seem to have that holistic view about uh, the sport's health entirety like you know about being attractive to outsiders wanting to come in and everything so we look at the endurance championship with the new rules they've already attracted a new manufacturer along who is already committed to day one or day zero effectively they've uh, committed to being part part of the team from there so you know if f1 could which is supposed to be the pinnacle of motor racing in the world if they could have done the same thing you know it could be you know, it could be a different story, I wouldn't have to sit here and be like, oh, you know, F1 is, uh, you know, not not as good because of this, F1 is great still, don't get me wrong, but they really need to jump the gun, like, not jump the gun, but they really need to get these things sorted sooner than later, I know the essence is in, like, you know, the attention is in the detail and everything to make sure that everything is uh, really fleshed out properly, but at the same time they've got to um there's got to be a timeliness about it too and you know it doesn't help that the concord agreement is also up for renegotiation and to be rewritten of course for 2021 as well with none of the teams actually committed beyond the end of 2020 so this is where you know teams probably have that bargaining power or like mercedes and ferrari had that bargaining power with the sports owners and say look you know if you don't meet our demands here we won't uh uh, we won't commit to the sport and it's like well formula one liberty media they'll look and be like well what do we do here because you know we're being held uh what do you call it we're being um sort of held to ransom here by the teams but at the same time they uh want to have it their way, you know, want to make sure that they're not, uh what do you call it, they don't lose out on what they currently have, the smaller teams, you know, will be, of course, they'll be pretty annoyed at this, because they want to have a stable set of regulations, they want a budget cap as well, to try and help them close the gap to the front, like I've always said, if, you know, if, as long as those privateer teams, those independents can actually be competitive on any given weekend, you know, like it is in MotoGP, where, you know, whilst they might not be able to fight for the championship, they can actually come out and actually finish on the podium, like we kind of saw with Force India the last few years, Sauber as well um, in the latter part of the V8 era coming out in 2012 especially, and uh, Lotus as well, who weren't really a factory team, um, which is now the current Renault factory team, so yeah, you know, if we had the competition like that, it would be a lot more exciting, a bit more unpredictability, you know, have a satellite team finish on the podium or potentially even win like you see in MotoGP, but um, yeah, the way things are going, it kind of doesn't feel, fill one with optimism, but again, delayed till October, we just have to wait and see, just be patient, and hopefully it'll all come right, but at least we can sit here, or I can sit here, and be happy that sports car racing, endurance racing, is going to look pretty damn attractive uh, in a few years time, when we see these hypercars introduced, and that's the whole point of it too, is the fact that they're going to be attractive cars, you know, they're the kind of cars that, you know, which you see on the road, and your head turns, I'm talking about like your McLaren P1s, McLaren Senna, Ford GT, uh, Aston Martin Valkyrie if you're ever lucky enough to see one, I doubt we'll ever see one here in Australia, that's for sure, but um, those kind of cars or the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris of the world where you, you look and you turn your head and then also if you're a little kid you might have the poster for this car on your bedroom wall sort of thing like I used to when I was little with the like Lamborghini Lagos and all uh, Mercedes SLS AMG so yeah you know that's the kind of thing I guess you want to inspire as well and as I said last week it's a universal it's a universal thing you know everyone everyone looks at it everyone knows Aston Martin Toyota so you know it's good to have that relatable or those relatable names in it even though Aston Martin isn't really relatable as far as ever owning one, unless they developed, like, a a hatchback, or, well, they kind of did with that Signet car, didn't they, even though it wasn't actually their car, they just badged it as theirs, might have been, like, a Tata or something, anyway, I don't know, but, yeah, very exciting to see them there, and, you know, I kind of, in the article that I'm writing at the moment, um, and I did mention this last week as well, that um, it's basically, you know, conceptually what it seems like to me is that the prototypes are going to invoke the Le Mans races of the past so when you had your Ferraris racing your old Porsches, Ford, McLaren you know all there Jaguar even as well uh, um, but with the advanced technology of today such as the hybrids. so it's not like they've gone back in time to just Let's relive the past with rose tinted glasses. It's sort of embracing the past, you know, touching on the past, but then also embracing the future of automotive technology, too, which it seems still is hybrid technology. That's the way to go. So, yeah, that's my little <coughs> spiel for endurance racing and regulations and that sort of thing, all done and over with. So, let's keep moving it on. I feel like I'm going to go overtime again this week. I'm, on a good roll, it seems, but yeah, I've got um, uh, supercars, state of origin to talk about too, so um, yeah, let's end the whole uh, Vive la France thing and um, uh, move it on to some supercars. So, my talking points from the Darwin Triple Crown over the weekend, starting off at the top, Scotty McLaughlin, finally actually becomes the first driver to win this triple crown a lot of people look at the event and are like what's the triple crown of darwin well triple crown of darwin is if you i mean it sort of changed actually because before it was something else when they had the um three race format or whatever but now it's just two races so it's if you take pole position well first if you win the saturday race then you take pole position in the top 10 shootout on sunday and then you win the sunday race so that's eluded everyone for the last i think 21 years that they've been doing the race in darwin it's eluded them for 21 years and i think the triple crown concept was introduced 13 years ago and it's eluded everyone since then but now scott mclaughlin who has been on fire this season 12 wins now for him after that weekend um, becomes the first driver to take it so it's like what can't this guy do this year he's just been unstoppable you know you look at when they tried to slow well not try to slow him down that just sounds one-eyed actually I apologize for that I don't feel like that at all um, when uh the whole parody debate got kicked up and the Ford cars the Mustangs were um, had their wings clipped you know to try and bring them in line with the Commodore and the Altima they did that twice you know the first they did the whole ballast readjustment thing the second time they actually took aero bits off you know chopped the rear wing a little bit And still, it hasn't stopped uh, DGR Team Penske and Scott McLaughlin. So Scott actually brought up the milestone for Penske Team Penske globally, their six hundredth pole position. So that's across NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, like you name it, all the different categories that the Penske name has gone into. And kind of cool that they had uh, Penske President Tim Sindrick over there over the weekend too to to watch. So McLaughlin, you know. 319 points, I think, ahead in the championship now, which is more than a round's worth, Um, 12 wins, the record for most wins in a season, actually, is within his sights, which is uh, Craig Lowndes' record from back in 1996, so you think when you had JB Wincup, you had Mark Scaife dominating the sport, that they still couldn't eclipse Lowndes' record of 16 wins in a season, so you know watch out uh, Lounsey because that one's going to be overtaken hopefully um, this year by Scott but also you know a bit of chatter around his own future as well I mean where potentially he could decide after this year that he wants to go to America it's been talked about quite a lot that he might uh, eventually make the switch over to the US and race for Penske there and NASCAR or something stock cars and all but for now I guess you know another championship maybe another two championships um after this year he could go for next year's as well but also it'd be great to see him tick off the bathurst 1000 as well and to to win that one we know how much uh, how many times that's eluded him in the past and you know a few heartbreaking years there with the gary rogers team and with volvo uh but then you know 2018 sorry 2017 it was he had the dnf there which was unfortunate and then last year, actually finally grabbing his first Bathurst 1000 podium as well, you'd think how many times he's actually attempted this race, and um, not been on the podium, not had a podium yet, so it grows to show you that, regardless of how good you are, Bathurst Mathis chooses you, and up until now, it's not been Scott McLaughlin's turn. So potentially this year could be could be the year he does it. Um, yeah, so he's four wins away from equaling Lander's record. Can anyone stop him in the championship? Well, it's either. F- for him to take a form slump or for someone to really step up their game and who could do that because you know there's this teammate fabian coultard there my second talking point uh about erebus being the best holden team at the moment on the grid so uh, david reynolds third and second in both the races over the weekend anton de pasquale solid and qualifying again but unfortunately not converting in the races but they finishing they are finishing uh ahead of all their other Holden team rivals, chiefly Triple Eight, which had been the benchmark Holden team for quite some time now, their best result was a pair of fifths, thanks to Jamie Cup. not a very good weekend for Shane Van Gisbergen, um, and qualifying-wise, they didn't even make the top 10 shootout for Saturday, I mean for Sunday, sorry, so they seem to have a good race car at the moment, but in qualifying where they need that one-lap speed, the shootout speed or whatever, they just can't seem to get it uh, working for them, so yeah, you know, this is traditionally the time of year two in the middle of the season where Triple Eight sort of start to come on song, we go to Townsville next and then to Adelaide, ooh, so we're only a round away from Adelaide, um, the Taylor Bend round, so that's the one I'm going to, kind of excited, it's not too far away now, um, yeah, so these are the races that Triple Eight normally do very well at, heading into the Enduros, um, uh, actually before the Enduros, we go across the ditch to Pukekohe as well, over in New Zealand, so that round's been brought um, ahead to be before the Enduros, with that reshuffle there, Sandown going over to um, the Last race in the Enduro Cup gold. So we have uh, Bathurst, Gold Coast, and Sandown. Probably better for us here, to be honest, Sandown, because Sandown in September, it's weather's awful. It's cold. It's raining. It's miserable last year I just remember standing there with my camera and my hands had icicles hanging off them so well, it's not true but um it felt like it certainly so yeah um triple eight can they turn things around next time out their race pace was encouraging but just qualifying you know and this is a team that, you know, Shane Van Gisbergen is a, a top ten shootout master and Jamie Wincup is the benchmark qualifier in supercars as far as the record of um, pole positions is concerned. So, you know, for those guys to not be up there it just goes to show you the struggles that they're having as a team, but at the same time djr team penske you've got to say what a great job they're doing and erebus you know they're sort of the the second best team at the moment um sort of fighting with tickford as far as consistency is concerned um it wouldn't be supercars racing without a bit of madness and race 15 on the saturday was a bit crazy we had three Nissans actually penalized for separate incidents first lap we had um first it was uh macaulay jones who was uh, sort of sentenced the wall by i think james golding and jack lebrock uh, both those guys retired, but uh, McCauley ended up racing on, but finished a couple of laps down and um, in last. Then we had on the first lap as well. Later on in the in the lap, uh, Tim Slade KO'd by Rick Kelly. So there's your first nissan copping a penalty. So that's two Brad Jones cars already in the wars. And that's the next point: is our Brad Jones had an awful, awful weekend, just filled with incidents. So two Brad Jones cars already in trouble. In the first race, then not too long after that, we had um, uh, Mark Winterbottom and Andre Heimgartner coming out of the final corner, jumping over each other. I think Frosty even got onto three wheels there, and there was like five cars coming down the the pit straight, all um, trying to find track position. And then at the end of the pit straight. Um, Todd Hazelwood was the one who was ahead of everyone, but he ended up getting punted off the track by Simona Silvestro, who was the other Nissan drive, second Nissan drive at a copper penalty, so note that I did say Andre Heimgartner there, but he didn't he didn't have a penalty for that i think Winterbottom copped the penalty andre copped a penalty for i think a pit lane infringement to a pit exit or something like that so there you go like it was just penalties galore galore in that race and somewhere in that we had scott mclaughlin at the front winning ahead of uh, his teammate coulthard and also um, david reynolds in that race and leading over to the last point to talk about is uh brad jones racing and it's not been a great year for them so far they've just had the one podium of course at the melbourne 400 the australian grand prix support round and that was tim slade who brought that one up he was ko'd of course by rick kelly on the saturday macaulay jones he was at the rear of the grid a bit of repair work to be done for his car for sunday and then on sunday in qualifying not one, but two of their cars find the Turn 11 tyre wall. So it was actually separate incidents, but it happened simultaneously. So you would have, if you didn't actually see them, you would have actually sworn that they hit each other and both ended up in the wall. But actually, Nick Perkout was the one who was the first to go off, he had a long brake pedal, he said, and went straight into the tyre wall, then Macaulay Jones decided to join him, but he was coming in backwards, so he had his own problem to end up in the wall too, and miraculously for those guys, they actually repaired both cars and they were able to race, you know, I don't think they finished very well at the end, but um, yeah, the fact that they were able to repair them, and they had four cars that weekend in the field too, so for three of them to have been involved in incidents and for uh, Macaulay Jones especially baptiz- baptism of fire by fire blah, 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 blah. baptism by fire this year um, it is rookie year to have then um, two incidents in the week, one weekend would, would have been pretty jarring so yeah that's uh supercars and you know a couple of weeks break then we're in townsville i just look at it and i'm like oh you know the warmer weather i wish i could i could be a part of it and everything and i'm wrong adelaide is not one where uh, one round away it's two because we go to ipswich after townsville so yeah got another two rounds in uh, queensland and then it comes to south australia to the bend motorsport park So, finally, I wanted to end this week's podcast, of course, with State of Origin, State of Origin 2 is on this weekend, I love how we've gone, you know, done a bit of a globe trek this week, we've started off in France, moved through France, ended up in the top end of Australia, Darwin, and now we're in Perth, lovely Perth, Uh, Perth is not bad. Perth is not bad, I guess, Um, I've only been there once, so I I, can't really make a big judgment on it, but you know, from what people tell me, um, it it can be good and bad, so let's just say for the sake of this, Perth is okay, but what I'm concerned about with, and like many will be concerned about too over there, is um, the ground that they're playing on, Optus Stadium, which is a circular Stadium, not a rectangular one like rugby is normally played on. So, yeah, and also whether the surface is too hard to play rugby on. You know, is there going to be injuries from this? Um, Is it going to annoy coaches in the NRL if their players go down injured? as a result of uh playing on this surface you know obviously they're taking the time out to to go play origin um and then they have to go back to their premiership teams they've got a premiership to play for so if any of those big scalps go down could it negatively um affect their season um that's the big question but anyway there's been more to talk about uh than the surface there in in Perth it's the fact that New South Wales has made seven changes to the side that only lost by four points and in the end it was one play that decided that and that was an intercept try so they did pretty well in that game apart from you know one intercept try that went to the way of Queensland so it almost seems like a reactionary change rather than proactive and all the rugby league uh commentators and journalists and blah 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 have been uh, you know the crisis mongers as as it were have been all up in arms about this as a crisis for New South Wales again and you gotta ask you know have New South Wales gone back to their old ways of panicking and chopping and changing things you know you thought with Brad Fittler having been installed as the coach last year uh, uh, a bit of a more relaxed guy who you know take the shoes off gather the uh the minerals of the earth put the feet in the into the minerals of the earth that sort of stuff um, that it would be a different culture within the team but you know after such a small loss in the end they've gone and made these big changes so you know you would have thought that change would have only come for for injury rather than you know make mass changes so let's go over them now for new south wales so into the team comes blake ferguson Tommy Trebojevic, uh, James Maloney into the halves, Daniel Saifidi, Dale Nukan from the Melbourne Storm on debut, Tarek Sims and Wade Graham, who has only played like 80 minutes of football since he came back from a knee reconstruction um, this year for Cronulla, so, you know and the guys who have missed out, so the guys who are injured, which you can understand not being a part of the team, Nick Kotrick, uh, who was in the centres, David Klemmer, of course, that was unfortunate, so that's why um, Syfidi comes in, uh, Payne House as well, who was uh, on the bench there from the Broncos, so they're the only three players that, you know, you would have ideally replaced, but then, you know, the, you look at the players that they've dropped, so I guess, Kotrick, you could have swapped for Trubojevic, who comes back, who was injured, and now is not injured, and he had a really ripper game for Manly over the weekend. You know, Kotrick for Trubojevic, you know, you can understand. Josh Morris, though, if you kind of feel like he was hard done by, didn't do wrong, he actually scored the try, uh, opening try for New South Wales in that first game, and for him to be replaced by Blake Ferguson, who again, the whole New South Wales culture thing, you know, you thought that Freddie was clearing, the coach Freddie Fittler was um, clearing out the shop by getting rid of those uh, troublemakers like Ferguson, Josh Dugan and all when he took over. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Ferguson's form, like he's been in good form this year, but it's about maintaining that positive culture as well, you know, not letting, you know, winning get to their heads and everything, but no, uh, Blake Ferguson comes into the team, um, for Josh Morris who really didn't do much wrong Cody Walker dropped from 5-8 he didn't do much wrong even though um, you know he wasn't sensational it was his first game you know and you can't really win everyone you need to be able to give him time to to settle in and everything before you can make a judgment but I kind of get bringing James Maloney in, even though he wasn't even their first choice for the number six, it was going to be Mitchell Pearce, you know, who's not even naturally a 5'8", or what they were going to do was have Pearce play halfback and um, move Nathan Cleary into 5'8", who's never really played in that position either, so a lot of just, I don't know, just a lot of weird rigmarole with these guys, so Walker out, Maloney in, that's actually, I can get behind that Maloney, he's a stable, stable set of hands, he can really guide the team, uh, Angus Crichton dropped as well, um, I don't think he really, I kind of don't remember what he did in Game 1, to be honest. So, you know, if it's he was dropped for Dal Finucane to come into the team or Tarek Sims, you know, I kind of, I understand Finucane especially, who's been solid for the Melbourne Storm for quite some time. And he getting his first opportunity at origin level for New South Wales. But the big one that's really had everyone talking for the last week since it was announced on Sunday the teams was Latrell Mitchell, now, you know, Latrell obviously didn't have a great game in the first game, he uh, got sinbid as well, Uh, people talking about his motivation, whether he's just uh, distracted and stuff like that, but, you know, he's the kind of player who could play Origin for years and years and years, and, you know, he kind of just needs to be around a positive environment to be able to to make an impact and yeah he's going through a form slump at the moment but so many of Queensland's players did in the past as well but they stuck with them the loyalty and everything and it's kind of disappointing that he's not playing you know and hopefully this isn't the end of Latrell's origin career even though you're sure he'll be back but the pressure's on them now to actually come out and win this game so the fact that they've made all these changes and panicked at everything if they don't win um uh, this then you know it's going to be all for nothing basically and they win the series they lose the series 2-0 and then go back to to Sydney to play the final one whereas uh, Queensland they only make two they only made two changes into their team because of injury so Jairo obviously out unfortunately Dylan Mapper comes off the bench to replace him at the uh, prop position number eight um, and I think yeah, Jared Wallace came into the team and that was about it, so yeah, you know, Queensland sticking to their team and, you know, you can really get behind their current setup, you can get behind the spine, Ponga, uh, Caelan Ponga at the fullback and uh, Munster Cherry Evans in the halves, Munster, sorry, Cherry Evans the captain and um, Ben Hunt playing at hooker, like I wasn't convinced um about ben hunt as hooker but you know i've sort of grown to after what i saw in the first game i've sort of grown to finding it yeah you know it's a, it's a it's a good good fit there and even though it's not his preferred position to play in and in Clubland he plays at number seven for the dragons um yeah to for him to play hooker in um in state of origin i don't mind it as long as they're doing well so yeah like i kind of find it hard to see queensland dropping this one but you'd have to say that new south wales got have got to win to actually keep the series alive and to justify all these changes that they've made to their team but um, yeah i really don't see queensland dropping this one so hopefully sunday night um a sunday entertainment sorted i've got origin first and then the french grand prix starting at 10 past 11 I hate that 11 o'clock starting time, I really do, 10 o'clock was fine, I don't know why they had to change it, well I do, because it was for European audiences or something like that, but yeah, it just really screws you around here in the east coast of Australia, well I do feel more for New Zealand F1 fans anyway, they've got it a lot worse, I think it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, where they've got to get up for all the european races so yeah but anyway that's pretty much it um, another hour-long podcast for you they're getting longer and longer um, anyway you know just should probably stop now but um hope you guys have a good weekend stay warm if you're over here enjoying the winter um if you like being cold then i don't know what's wrong with you but um yeah stay warm, um, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the racing, footy, whatever you're going to watch, Cricket World Cup, enjoy that if you're going to watch that, so yeah, thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next week for a wrap from the French Grand Prix, thank you.